Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9.35 through 10.7 called The King of Compassion and Mission. And he said to his disciples, 937 of Matthew, now switching metaphors to like a farm or a, a field with crops. The harvest is plentiful, it's great, but the workers or the servants are few. Now in switching metaphors, Jesus now moves into a field. Maybe we could just say it this way. Let's say you were looking at an apple field and all these trees, the apples were ripe for the picking. And you surveyed, let's say, a huge apple orchard and you knew they were all ready and all you got to do is pick them. But the problem is that there's not enough workers and Jesus is basically saying, I'm the one that's been going around doing this stuff and I need you to do it as well. And this original plea is to the first century apostles because I, I want you to understand that when you read your Bible, not everything is said directly to you. I know that shocks some of you. <gasps> what do you mean it's not directly to me? Well, when Jesus said this, he, there was a, uh, a lot of disciples around, but there were not even really any official apostles. We're about to see that. And they're going to go out into the harvest, but I have some really good news. Over the last 2,000 years, the harvest has had a ton of workers go out into the mission field. Amen? In fact, we've reached much of the known world except for what missionaries call the 1040 window. And about a quarter of the planet claims to be Christian, maybe more. So this prayer or request has largely been fulfilled, but there's still work to do, amen? Because I look at America and I see a lot of lost sheep in America. In fact, I would argue... If all the lost sheep in America came home, every church in our city would be filled. It's not like our culture is walking around without the underpinning of Christian values that's been around for a while. It's not ignorance. It's just that the cultural winds are gaining momentum. The harvest is plentiful. It's ripe for the picking. The problem is that there's not enough workers. I, I don't want to tell you that this is all been remedied because even in the modern church, you know, sometimes we do feel like we're pulling teeth to get people off the bench and into the game. Jeremiah 2, 1 through 3 reads this way. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem saying, thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, you following after me in the wilderness when they left Egypt through a land not sown. Israel, Jeremiah 2.3, was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it became guilty, even evil came upon them, declares the Lord. Notice, Israel was the first of his harvest. Salvation is to the Jew and then to the Gentile. You might ask, well, why does, why does Jesus just say, go to the lost sheep of Israel? Does he care, not care about Gentile nations? Yes, he does. It's, it's in the Great Commission. But this is why I, I say we need to know that the original commission in this section was to the apostles. Don't go the way of the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans right now. I want you to first go to the lost sheep of Israel. And to contemporize it for us, I think about the lost sheep in America. 
I think about the underpinnings of our country, what it was built upon, what we stood for, and what's happening now, and how other nations must look at us now. And the question will become, as we go to the lost sheep in our culture, will we have another great awakening, a third great awakening? We need it so desperately, amen? We need it desperately. And so Jesus is talking about that moment, and he's saying, look, yes, I have compassion, but compassion needs to move to mission. Compassion must find its feet. It must be realized in action. I just want to say that if you are a believer and you don't serve anywhere and you don't do anything, I don't understand that. Now, I will say some of you are involved in the business world and you're, you, you're giving and that's wonderful and I think that's great, but, but there's spiritual gifts you have that need to be engaged to make the body stronger that we can be more effective. Amen. The more of us that go out into the harvest in your sphere of influence, the better the results. So Jesus says, here's what we need to do. We need to pray. 38, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Notice he's, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's also the Lord of the harvest. It's his field. The, the world is his Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest field or laborers. We need more workers. And this is the point in the sermon where the sheep usually prepare to be beat up by the shepherd. All right, here it comes. Do something, get in the game. And you've already gotten some of that, right? But my intention is not to beat the sheep. I don't want you walking out of here going, (laughs) But I want you to hear what Jesus says. He says in John 4, the fields are white unto harvest. He says, you've entered into the labor of others. I am the Lord of the harvest. God is the Lord of the harvest. Isaiah sees a, a vision of the Lord in Isaiah 6. Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And he says famously, here am I, Lord. Remember? Send me. Don't send her or him, send me. So Jesus says, first of all, he doesn't tell them to go. He says, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that there's more people who catch heaven's heart and vision and go out with that shepherd's heart. And so he summoned the 12. Now here's putting the feet to it, 10-1. They're called disciples, they'll be called apostles in verse two. And he gave them Authority, Greek word exousia, power in the New King James. This speaks of both ability and privilege, power and authority. He gave them the power and the delegated authority, if you will, to do what? They had power over unclean spirits to cast them out. This is all that Jesus was himself doing to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Exactly what Jesus was doing with that heart of compassion, now they're going to do. They're going to have the power of heaven to cast out demons, to heal people. But it's delegated power. Now, just in case you wondered, this church is a church that believes in the charismatic gifts, but we are careful, and we know that the apostles were a first century group 
delegated by the Lord with specific delegations for this time in this moment. And I'll let you wrestle with whether or not the church has the same authority today. It would seem that as they went out in this particular mission, they could pray over anybody kind of like Jesus did, cast out demons and heal the sick in this mission. But today, there's not the original 12 apostles. And we got to be careful that while we believe in gifts of healing and we believe that the Lord can do whatever he wants through prayer and laying on of hands, we still got to be careful that we don't make a mistake of applying this specific authority to us. Now, we do have delegated authority, but you got to wrestle with the rest of the New Testament to work that out. Because if if someone says, I'm a modern-day apostle or this or that, and they claim to have these gifts, I want to see them going to hospitals and cleaning out cancer units with children, etc. Amen? Now, I want you to hear me. We believe that when we pray for the sick, God can and does heal. But this specific endowment was for the 12 as they go into these lost cities. Why? Two C's, compassion and confirmation. One, it was driven by the compassion of the Lord. Two, was to confirm that their message was true. So the signs would give them a springboard into preaching the good news of the kingdom. Luke uh, fills in a little bit by saying that Jesus, before he chose the 12, prayed all night before the Father, and from among a larger group of disciples, chose the 12 apostles. So disciples and apostles, um, in Matthew, there's a distinction in Luke. There were thousands, perhaps, of professed disciples, but only 12 that he selected to go, and they would go out in pairs, and we'll move quickly now as we wrap up. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's also called Peter. He's the head of every list. Four lists of apostles in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. John doesn't have a list. And Peter's at the head of every list of apostles. Judas is the last on every list for obvious reasons, right? Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John. Two sets of brothers, both in the fishing business, James and John, probably first cousins to Jesus. Two sets of brothers. Can you believe it? Sibling rivalry. Brothers in the flesh became brothers in the spirit. (laughs) It can happen, parents. There's hope. Verse three. Now they're, they're in groups of four. The second four, always the same as the first four in all the lists, except the order varies a little bit. You have Philip and Bartholomew, verse three. Thomas and Matthew, the tax gatherer. So Matthew's the only one that gives his own former profession. And Philip, we know, Bartholomew may be Nathaniel from John 1, 45 through 49. You say, well, how does that work? A lot of the ancients had two names at least, Simon Peter, for example. Matthew's also known as Levi. We've already learned that. And so Bartholomew, look at the name. Bar is son and Ptolemy or Ptolemy is probably his father. He's the son of Ptolemy. So he could easily be Nathaniel, which most scholars agree, but he's also known as the son of Ptolemy. You know, when someone has the name Johnson, that's probably language moving out in this direction, the son of John. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Believe it or not, if you have doubts and questions about your Christian faith, you're not alone. The recent deconstruction movement phenomenon has a number of Christians rethinking what parts of the Bible they identify with. But is the movement simply about having doubts? If deconstruction is just about asking questions, I'm just asking questions, I'm, I'm going through some doubts, then declaring war on it would be wrong and actually unbiblical. But if deconstruction is about leading people away from historic Christianity, then declaring war on it is completely appropriate and biblical. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Download the free Walk in Truth app available in your app store today. You can also listen to the first part of this conversation when you listen to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. It can happen, parents. There's hope. Verse 3. Now they're, they're in groups of four. The second four are always the same as the first four in all the lists, except the order varies a little bit. You have Philip and Bartholomew, verse 3. Thomas and Matthew, the tax gatherer. So Matthew's the only one that gives his own former profession. profession. And Philip, we know, Bartholomew may be Nathaniel from John 1, 45 through 49. You say, well, how does that work? A lot of the ancients had two names at least. Simon Peter, for example. Matthew is also known as Levi. We've already learned that. And so Bartholomew, look at the name. Bar is son, and Ptolemy or Ptolemy is probably his father. He's the son of Ptolemy. So he could easily be Nathaniel, which most scholars agree, but he's also known as the son of Ptolemy. You know, when someone has the name Johnson, that's probably language moving out in this direction, the son of John. So this is kind of how it worked. People didn't really have last names, but their, their second name was often tied to their location or their family. So you have Thomas and Matthew, and then the last four, James, the son of Alphaeus, he may have been Matthew or Levi's brother. That would make for potentially four sets of brothers in the disciples or apostles. You have Thaddeus. He's also known as Judas, the son of or brother of James. And in moving into verse four, you have Simon the Zealot, probably part of a political party that thought paying taxes to a Roman overlord was a no-no. And he gets to work with Matthew, the tax collector. Does God have a sense of humor or what? You thought it was difficult to get along with people in the church? Here you are from the zealot, no tax party, working with Matthew, the tax collector. You had to have some conversations around the fire. Like, dude, really? What were you thinking? Now, he was part of a political party, but um, obviously I think his heart changed as he followed Jesus. And then last on the list is Judas Iscariot. Iscariot is probably where he's from in the south. He's likely the only non-Galilean apostle, the only apostle not from the area of Galilee. And the epithet, he's the one who betrayed Jesus. Judas Iscariot will be forever known 
as the one who betrayed Jesus. Whatever's put behind my name one day, Michael Lance, the one who, please let it never include language like this. Can I get a witness? Because you know, one day, there's going to be an epitaph or a grave marker or a story told about you. And if it was your name, so-and-so known as what? Hopefully it would be the one who did their best to follow the Lord, full of compassion and truth, you know, etc. How sad that Judas, forever known as the one who betrayed Jesus. And these were the apostles, literally the sent out ones with the idea of like an ambassador, delegated authority. O'Donnell has a funny little section. He says, only one man gets his occupation added. It's not Andrew the fisherman, Thomas the dental hygienist, Philip the used car salesman. It's Matthew the tax collector, verse three. I don't want to make too much of this addition other than the point I'm making. God chose outcasts to reach outcasts. Here we find not Peter the Great or Dr. John von Thunder of the Tubigen Institute of Theology or St. Thaddeus of the holiest order of hermits. Rather, we find common men, even uncouth men. And it is this ignoble group of 12 who make the noble message of the gospel to the ignoble world. The church was built upon the faithful testimony, says Jerome, of a bunch of rustics, close quote. (laughs) Gives hope for all of us, doesn't it? Even if you come from Norco. We love everybody who comes from Norco. We're looking at a property in Norco. Don't despair. There'll be more on that later. Anyway, the 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, don't go in the way of the Gentiles, don't go in the way of the Samaritans, at least not for now, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Would you pray with me, Father? As we think about sheep and shepherd imagery, thank you that you sent your lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The shepherd became like a sheep to the slaughter. And remained silent. He didn't open his mouth. He could have called legions of angels, but no one took your life from you, Lord. You laid it down of your own accord, you had and have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. And that you did. And you defeated death in the resurrection, and we have a message of hope. We have a shepherd king, a king of compassion, a king of mission, a king who entered into the world on a saving mission, a king who handed the baton to 12 apostles. One fell off the list, but Matthias and the apostle Paul came and so much was done and so much is being done right now. And now the baton is ours. And it's up to us to be faithful. It's required, in fact, of a steward that he be found faithful. And Lord, As we steward the gospel, steward the message of the kingdom, help us, Lord. We feel the pressure of our culture. We feel often distressed and downcast. 
And we know your heart and we know you see us. And we know your heart goes out to us. And though we don't understand every twist and turn of this life, we know we have a good shepherd who's pouring mercies new every morning into our hearts. That person that's going through a tough time right now, would you pour out fresh doses of comfort and compassion, Lord? For that person who's not met you or they're a wandering sheep, that they would hear your voice and follow you. Turn from their sin. Turn from false shepherds, poor leadership, false voices, and say, Lord, and you might want to pray right now if it's you, I'm turning to the good shepherd right now. I'm turning around. Forgive me. I believe you entered into this world and died on that terrible cross. I believe you defeated death through the resurrection. I believe you are the king, the good shepherd, and I, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer and being so patient and compassionate with us. You are, you're the father of compassions. And I pray that the, the, the thought of that compassion will be like living water to our thirsty souls. You'll carry our feet this week to be on mission, not because we have to, but because compassion drives us to see our culture, to see fallen soldiers and the like the way that you see, oh God. Give us your heart, give us your eyes this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people say. You've been listening to The King of Compassion and Mission, Part 3, on Walk in Truth. That was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9.35 through 10.7. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, as we think about the king of compassion and mission, we think about our own compassion that drives mission. You know, years ago, I took a, some evangelism training. It was actually with Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron. And they said that the biggest thing that ought to drive our evangelism is compassion. Now, I want you to kind of connect the idea here. Compassion should drive evangelism because we care about people's souls. And so we can get out of our comfort zone to have a conversation because we care about, we have more compassion than we care about our comfort. And you might say, uh, well, I'm not sure that's me. <laughs> and I'm not sure that's always me as well, to be quite candid. I want my compassion always to supersede my comfort. I'm not sure it always does. But maybe, maybe you could do this. Maybe this week you pray the Lord would send you to a crying heart that needs him. Everybody needs him, but maybe one who's more open. Maybe you just say, Lord, make me sensitive this week to who I can have compassion on. And maybe that practical compassion will lead you 
to be able to preach the gospel. Certainly you'll be living the gospel in front of them, but we also want to preach it. So that would be a good thing to be praying about this week. Oh Lord, I want this week to be live for your glory, for compassion and mission. Lead me to someone who is soft and open. You've prepared to respond to the gospel. Maybe it's even someone who works next to you every day and you've just never broached the subject. Well, today can be the day. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You're listening to Walk in Truth. We are so grateful for our partners, our prayer partners. Hey, I just want to say, you know, we do a lot of talking about the website and stuff like that each and every day, but I'll tell you this. One of the best things that you could do for us is pray. Please pray. Pray that the Lord is honored in the program that he is um, moving when the word is preached, when just please pray. I think you know what I'm saying, my brothers and sisters. Pray for uh, walk in truth. Pray for the team that is about this ministry because we believe in the power of prayer and that God will honor those prayers. We'll see you right here tomorrow when we study the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God bless you. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 23, called The Kingdom of Heaven is at Hand. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.